and uh, welcome in today. The, uh, I know there have been some challenges to getting here, and uh, we're thankful for that, that you are here today. Uh, we have a, a group of students and chaperones that are at Strength to Stand in Gatlinburg. Uh, there's a little bit of weather moving through here, as you might have heard, and uh, the sickness and the pandemic still seems, seems to, uh, to linger on, but we press on and, uh, and we pray for those, certainly, who are struggling, and here at the church, it's a next man up mentality as uh, we are getting ready to continue to worship and uh, lead others to worship. And I pray that you are continuing to uh, invite and uh, tell people uh, the good news that Jesus saves. And I want to stop right there and just pray over our uh, students that are away and uh, to pray for those that, that couldn't be here today. And um, it's certainly uh, different, different times uh, that we'll talk a little bit about today, but, but God is faithful. And it's good to sing it and be reminded of it as we sing. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, what a reminder as we sing it. And Lord, that may be a new song in our, our minds and hearts, but God, may it be true to our heart, Lord, to remember your faithfulness. And Lord, we'll talk of today about some, some things that are, are mountains in our life that need to be moved. And truly, for a couple of these things, Lord, only you can move them. So we pray, Lord, that you would do so. God, we pray today and ask that you would take care of those who are uh, away from us this morning, Lord, those who may be uh, not well. Uh, Lord, those who may be living in fear. Uh, God, we pray for those who are traveling. Lord, those who just can't make it. We're thankful, Lord, for them and pray that you administer today uh, through our live stream to them. But we also thank you, Lord, for that we're able to gather. Lord, for we remember what it's like when we, we couldn't. And so we thank you, Lord, for the ability and the well wherewithal to be together. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us into all truth today as we look at your word. And we love you, O oh God, and we thank you for sending your son Jesus to make a way for us to have heaven and to make a way for us to have purposeful life here on this earth. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 4 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, that's where we've been the last couple of Sunday mornings. And I, as you're turning there, I want to uh, share a good word that I heard, with, uh, heard this week, which is when, when you consider the new year and consider your goals, you consider the resolutions that you've set before you. It's best that before you make a list of what you need to do, you need to write out who you want to be. Think about that. Who is it that you want to be when you think of a new start, when you think of a, a new year? This keeps the why in front of you instead of the what. So statements like this, I want to be an intentional father. I want to be a father in our home that when he says words and when he spends time, he does it on purpose. Or maybe you're thinking, I want to be a valuable employee. That's what I want to be this year. This year, I want to be the employee that they can count on to help build a great culture and be profitable for the company that I work within. Or you could be thinking in the spiritual realm, I want to be a faithful Christian who is dedicated to what God says over and above every feeling that I have. I want to dedicate faith this year completely to Almighty God. Again, I like the new year. A lot of people don't like the resolutions and all that. I like the new year because the new year reminds me of a new man, which is what we'll talk about in the scripture. Jonathan Edwards is a notable figure in Christian history. He was a brilliant mind. He studied at, at Yale University at the age of 14. Uh, during the, the Great Awakening, his sermons really spread amongst the American colonies as he was a dedicated Christian theologian that really sparked revival. And I was somewhat surprised to find that Jonathan Edwards made New Year's resolutions. It kind of makes you feel normal when you hear about these Christian theologians throughout history that have made simple New Year's resolutions like us. 
His resolutions may not have been made on January the 1st. I understand that as I study it. But there is a written work that's actually titled Resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. He pledged to read over them once a week. That's how he was going to keep up with the things that he planned to do. Resolutions that were very similar to, to anyone else's here. He didn't want to lose a moment in time. That's one that he wrote down. He made a resolution never to speak evil to anyone. He made a resolution that would ask himself where he could get better after the week was over. These are very simple things that we all experience. But before he wrote down all of these resolutions for himself, he pinned this at the top. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly beg by his grace, I beg him to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. So the changes that I desire in my life are subject to the will of God and for his sake and for his purpose. He went on to write this, that whatever I will do, whatsoever I think to be, may it be to the glory of God. You see, when you think about change, you've got to think about God if you follow Jesus because you do not belong to yourself. So even the changes we make are subject to his glory and to his will. You know, we should know this morning that the main character of our life is not us. And the main character of our life is not even those that we love and we take care of. But the main character of our life is the author and the redeemer of our lives. For the scripture says that all glory to God, which means we should get none of it. And our lives should reflect the glory of our author of our life and redeemer. So even the changes we make have to find our purpose in God. So that they will make a kingdom difference. If you're with me, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Verse 24, and the Bible says, put on your new nature. This is the one that I would ask all of us to consider for this next 365 days, less than that now. But the Bible says to put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. If you are a Christian, And this past week, our family sat down and talked about exactly what that means. If you are a Christian, one who has turned from sin and turned to God by faith in Jesus Christ. As we said, salvation is a two-sided coin. One is repentance of sin, and the other side is faith in Jesus Christ. And if we have turned from our sin and turned to God, and we have the knowledge of Jesus Christ, knowing that we have the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, with that power behind us, to throw off the old nature that we've asked God to forgive us of, and to put on the new one that the Spirit of God is renewing within us. This is the base change that God is creating within everybody here. The base change that God wants to see. If you want to do all these things you're thinking about that will be better for your health and self-improvement, God wants to start with your heart and your status before him. But right after this verse in Ephesians 4, where God's word says to put on the new nature, created to be like God, that's where our change should go, truly righteous and holy, right after this verse, Paul's going to quit talking in generalities and he's about to give your sin a name. Sometimes it's good when we do that to think to ourselves, not in general that we're a sinner, but what is it specifically that is tripping you up? What is it that is is the characteristic of your sin? Because 
what we're about to look at is a few places where he is being specific of what this church is dealing with. In fact, there are three standards of the new nature that we'll look at today. Actually, we're going to look at two of those because we're going to look at another one next week as there's a lot to say about just these two. I want you to understand, every time that you see a list in the Scripture, more often than not, it's not an exhaustive list. It's an example list. So there could be other things in this list, obviously, that would be old nature to new nature. But this obviously has to be something that the church is dealing with. Like he knows the context and he says, what this means, church, is that for you to go from the old nature to the new nature, you don't need to do this and you've got to stop doing this. I wonder what it would be like for us. If the Apostle Paul were writing to Lindsay Lane, looking into the life of our church, saying, y'all folks have got to move from the old nature to the new nature. And in fact, in order to do that, you've got to stop this. You've got to start this. Don't do this. Because he's speaking here to a, a local church. Again, not on the generalities of sin, but he's about to get very specific. And when you get specific about sin, this is where the Holy Spirit really begins to give us conviction and correction. So, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you do just that. The sin that we call on you to, to, for, to forgive us of, Lord, would you put it in front of us so that we may shirk it off, so that we may put on the new nature in Jesus' name. The first standard of the new nature is this, the mouth. That mouth. Lord, have mercy. You know, it's interesting, as I said, that the general response from your faces to mine, which means this, We all deal with this one. That mouth. The Bible says in James that the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. That's strong words, is it not? Talking about the way that we talk and how we talk, it goes on to say, and this is good, it goes on to say, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Which is why Ephesians says, throw off the old nature. You you can't live in the salty spring status and and then expect to draw fresh water. So Ephesians 4.25 gets real specific, and I love it when the Bible makes it plain. Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, So stop telling lies. Sometimes I think we expect the Bible to be more eloquent than that. Hey, stop it. Right? Sounds like a a good, caring parent. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Stop telling lies. It's that mouth. Our old nature would rather lie than to take responsibility. Our old nature would rather lie than to face consequence. Our old nature would rather lie than to sacrifice. Our old nature would rather lie than to be embarrassed. We, we would tell a short little lie just so that we're not put in a negative light. I want you to make this note if you're taking notes. Make this note. The old nature does whatever it can to protect itself or promote itself. The old nature does whatever it can to protect itself or promote itself. And that's why we lie. That's why we tell stories. That's why we exaggerate. So that we are seen in a higher light or so that we are protected from anybody thinking less of us. In 1919, the Chicago White Sox baseball players, they were playing in the World Series and they intentionally, some of you have seen this movie, read this story, 
they intentionally threw the World Series. They, they were made an offer by a bookie that said, if you will throw these baseball games, you will make the amount sum of this for your families. And living in that time when the contracts were not as big and wide, they intentionally played poorly. Not all of them, but most of them. And they played so poorly within the nine-game series as it was then, opposed to a seven-game series, and y'all don't care about that. But it was nine-game series then. And when they played this nine-game series, they played so poorly because they were at the top level that it became noticeable that they were tanking on purpose. They were giving away games. And they were doing it deceivingly before everybody that had paid a ticket to watch them so that the gamblers would make the money off of them and they would get a cup of it, a cut of it. The pitcher on that team who was in on the lie said this, I don't know why I did it. I need the money. I have the wife and kids. That was his response. Yeah, I don't know why I did it. I I needed the money and I've got the wife and kids. You see, then you do know why you did it. Because our old nature will do whatever it can to protect and promote self. So, this is why he's done it. To satisfy that nature that is selfish, that wants more for us, that wants to protect us, promote us, it'll do whatever. So you think to yourself, look man, he's just trying to take care of his family. Why is that so wrong? Why is that so wrong that he would kind of take a ball game here, his family would benefit from it, it goes on and nobody's hurt. Why is that so wrong? Because that's not what you learned about Jesus. If you were here, you know I've said that repetitively for the last three weeks. Because that's what the Bible says before we get to this verse about our mouth. When you put on the new nature, it is with the new knowledge of who Jesus is. Why is it so wrong to throw a ball game here or there and make a few thousand dollars? Because that's not what you've learned about Jesus. What did Jesus say repeatedly in the Gospels? Verily, verily, I say unto you. What is that? What is that verily, verily? Truly, truly. Which means what? Y'all listen up because I'm about to tell you the truth. Jesus said that over and over. When we think about our mouths and the truth or the lies that comes out of that, the deception that comes out of that, Jesus, when we think about what we've learned about Jesus so that we hold off the old nature and live in the new, Jesus said over and over, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. He said this relative to his identity. He said this relative to their morality. He said this about eternity. He said this about his mission. He said this about what is really important in your life. I tell you the truth. So when we know that Jesus only tells the truth and we follow Jesus, then can you connect the dots? This this is the new nature that God has called us to as we represent him. When Jesus was teaching the disciples about heaven, I love this. When Jesus was teaching the disciples about heaven, he said, there's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? You know what he's saying? I'm not lying when I'm talking to y'all. If I said that I was going to put a place together for you in heaven, that means there's going to be one because I don't tell false things. I speak the truth. And it was an example for those who followed him. What have we learned about Jesus? And the scripture says, when you look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off the old nature. 
The verse that we all love to quote all the time, John 14, 6, Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said that he, in fact, does not teach the truth, but that he, in fact, is the truth. Meaning that just as salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ, the truth about everything is also wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. What kind of truth? The truth for living, the truth for dying, the kind of truth that matters. You see, when we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have access to the Father, Father God. And because of this, we have access to the truth. Because truth comes from God, and God sees things as they ever so are. You want wisdom? Wisdom comes from truth. Where does truth come? It comes from God. So, because we know God, we know what to think about ourselves. We know what to think about our neighbors. We know how to treat people. Because we know God, we know the truth of how we got here, why we're here, and how we can live forever. That's because we know Jesus, and Jesus gives access to God. So when a discussion comes up in your workplace or in your family or in your circles about how to get to heaven, when a discussion comes up in your circles about who is fit for the kingdom of God, the old nature wants to protect you and promote you, so you are then tempted to join in that conversation and say, man, I just think whoever does the best they can, they'll be in heaven one day. You see, when you say that, you are protecting yourself and promoting yourself because everybody there wants to hear that. They want to hear, if I can just do the best I can do, hopefully that good will outweigh that bad and we'll get on into those pearly gates and we say things like that. So we have the temptation in our old nature just to go along with that because it protects us and it promotes us. But that's not what you learned about Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no man gets to the Father if he don't go through me. See, you can respectfully and tactfully navigate those conversations, but that is telling the truth. God tells us the truth because he loves us. If we love people, we won't blow smoke. We'll tell them the truth about their eternity and their morality. We'll tell them the truth about who we are. Stop putting on airs like we're Mr. Spiritual. I'm telling you, I'm a mess, and I thank God for the grace of God. That's the truth. We've all got a testimony. We've all got brokenness. We've all got a story. And Jesus is the way, and he's the truth, and he's the life. Yes, the truth is important for us to tell because it is right, but it's also important for us to tell because we represent the one that bought us. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. Hebrews says in chapter 16, verse 8, that it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. Why? Because he's the truth. These things the way that they are. So if, if for God it is impossible to lie, we know for us that it is very possible. But if we have put off the old nature and put on the new, then we represent, as the scripture says, look there again in verse 24, created to be like God. It does not say created to be the best you can. Man, that won't go very far at all. But it says created to be like God. God. You know, as the scripture says that God is impossible for him to lie, it also says that Satan is the father of lies. How does that hit you if you struggle with telling the truth? You know, some people struggle with this for real. How does that hit you if you know 
that Satan is the father of lies and one of the biggest holdups in your life is telling the truth about everything in every situation. Because that's where deceit and deception comes from. Our old nature will do whatever it can to protect itself and promote itself. The new nature, however, leads us to protect and promote the glory of God in the name of Jesus. That's who we are now. I would encourage you with this. Resolve this day. Resolve this week to tell the truth in love in every situation so as to represent the Lord faithfully and so you won't confuse the church. What does that mean? What did it say? Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. You see, I say to avoid confusing the church because the scripture makes that point. Let us tell each other the truth. Maybe we need to say the truth instead of stop going, ah, it ain't no big deal. Well, if it's a big deal, then say it or stop talking. Maybe we need to, to, to be honest in here. If we have questions and we have doubts, we need to ask it. We need to stop. And this is one of mine, y'all. I don't like when you ask questions of me and I don't know the answer. And you're like, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Guess what? I don't know the answer to everything. But I sure do want to because my old nature, nature wants to protect me from being vulnerable. So, so in here we especially, and I think the reason that God's word would put it this way is because if we don't talk truth to each other, we definitely won't do it out there. Because this is the crowd that should understand grace and forgiveness. So we say this to avoid confusion. And the Bible says this, we're all parts of the same body. So, so for us to lie to each other in here about whatever, for us to lie to one another is like the eye of our body seeing danger come and knows that it's about to get dangerous, but it's not going to alert the rest of our body to take cover. Like, no, nah, man, it's going to be good. Oh, no. So this, this is the scripture saying that like as the body is, for, for one part of the body to lie to another, you're the same body. So we have to be careful to tell each other the truth, admit when we don't know it all. Because again, how can we expect to tell the truth to the world when we won't tell it in here? You have no reason, by the way, to go into a group on Sunday mornings or to sit in here in this sanctuary on Sundays and even to take it in a live stream and attach yourself to Lindsay Lane and act like you got it all together. You don't have to do that. We already know the truth anyways. Because we know the truth of ourselves. As those who follow Jesus, our words should be trustworthy because God never tells a lie. So that first standard of the new nature is this mouth and the truth that we tell or the lies that we tell. The second standard is our emotions. Our emotions. You know, I don't know if I've ever seen a more emotional time in my lifetime. And that's only 39 years. A lot of y'all are asking how old I am. There you go. 39 years. I know that's only been 39 years, but I, I don't know that I've ever seen a more volatile time. And maybe it's because there's so much media and information in front of us every day where we see fights and arguments and we see disruption and all these things. But, but it just seems, Brittany and I were even talking about this yesterday. It just seems like the whole vibe of everyone right now in this time that we live in because of the pandemic, because of the weather, because of our schedules, because of the unrest is just everybody has this vibe of frustration and exhaustion. Well, you know, that's going to flesh itself out. 
And we've seen that. We've seen that anger as a byproduct in recent past. In recent past, we've seen riots. We've seen murders. We've seen insurrection. We've watched board meetings of school systems and ball games be melees at the end. Folks throwing hands at these things. Emotions are, are running high. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't sin by letting anger have you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Christian, anger can still get to you, but it ought not have you. Anger can still well up within you, but it should not control you. Be angry and sin not, if that's what your version says. Be angry and sin not means that you can be fired up without burning down. You should be angry when there's an injustice. God gave us that emotion for a reason. You should be angry when something is done wrong and you know it when there's an injustice, when there's an abuse, when the character of God is challenged. We should get angry about that. But without crossing the line from inappropriate emotion to inappropriate action or appropriate emotion to inappropriate action. Last night we were watching a movie with the kids. Like one of the Disney movies. And it's, it's one of these like suspenseful movies. And it's kind of like leave you on the edge of your seat kind of deal. And I was halfway paying attention. And then I perked up because this lady's walking down like a long dark hallway. And it's, it's meant to freak you out. And the music was playing in the background was real like, you know, how they do the music to kind of scare you. You know what the song was? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. And like I perked up and I was like, is that Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace is not a scary song. It's a good song. And I find myself going like, why are y'all doing this? Like getting heated, you know? Why would y'all do that? Why would y'all put Amazing Grace and put negative tones on God's grace for us? This is wrong. It's awful. It's mean. Well, y'all, just because I see that and it's wrong don't mean that I can start cussing at the TV and call them folks out and be like, let me tell y'all something. We can't let our anger take us from the place of, of an appropriate emotion that God gave us to an inappropriate action. Why? Again, I go back to this. Why? Why can we not start hurling insults and make phone calls and flipping everything over and burning everything down? Why? Because that's not what you learned about Jesus. As the scripture teaches us. Yeah, but didn't Jesus flip over the tables? We know that he flipped over those tables in the temple. Yeah, he did, and he should have. So people were using that sanctuary to turn profit and to exploit innocent people coming for worship. And so Jesus used swift action to stop an injustice and to defend those who were being taken advantage of. Let me tell you something. When you see in the scripture that Jesus flipped over a table, Jesus has the power to cast your soul and my soul into heaven, into hell. You know what that means? I would say that means he showed incredible restraint. Incredible restraint. He had all the power of God. And he shut it down and he scolded them. As one pastor said, 
No believer can be neutral in the battle of truth. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, when he was angry, he could write, pray, and preach well because his temperament was quickened. Now, I like that because that's certainly a constructive expression of anger, to take your anger and prepare to pray with it and preach with it or to it. That's constructive expression of the emotion that's going in within you. Again, you can be fired up without burning down because the Spirit of God who lives in you is working to renew thoughts and attitudes so the old nature of emotion and the the one that sins is convicted every time it's expressed inappropriately. Listen, you do well to call on the Spirit of God. If this is your thing, if anger is your thing, if even right now when we mention when we mention motions, emotions and we talk about anger, if you know that's your thing, you would do well every single morning to wake up and call on the Spirit of God to renew your thoughts and your attitudes towards what would make you mad. So this is one, I know it's different for everybody, but this is one where when we talk about our emotions or talk about getting angry, you already get uncomfortable. Because you know that that's the thing that you deal with in your flesh. Jesus also taught in Matthew that, listen to this. This is in Matthew chapter 5. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And with that, he taught to be reconciled, to settle the differences quickly. Or consequences would set in if one let their anger get away from them. The old nature, again, wants to protect and it wants to promote the old nature wants revenge and separation the new nature wants reconciliation well that's hard well that's why god gets the glory yes let me tell you something revenge and separation and manipulation and all those things that come with our old nature that's a default that's easier for us to pull off than for us to face to face talk something out and have each other's back We would rather slam the door in each other's face and go get on our little phones and type it up on social media and blast somebody like, that's such a coward. Man, deal with it. Deal with it. Maybe go talk about somebody. Talk to somebody. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. What is this that we're doing when we question decisions that we tell the multitudes instead of going to the one that made the decision? Lord have mercy. They can't do anything with it. I'm really not even speaking of anything specific in our church. I just know that this happens. Is that the decision y'all made? Oh. Did y'all all hear the decision they made? Like that's what we're doing. Go to them. If you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And don't miss this. The new nature calls for reconciliation. For you to go to someone and get it right so that you can move on and show each other grace. And also, there's a biblical time limit attached to our anger. Did y'all know that? Read what it says there again. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You see, there's a time limit attached to our anger, and it's this evening. And some of you have already skipped curfew a bunch of times. 
What I'm saying to you is, is you, you can't come in here with malice in your heart towards another believer day after day, Sunday after Sunday. You can't go home and you can't go into the community with meanness in your mind and still thank God for His grace. You've got to do something with it. And I would encourage you to deal with it or drop it. You may not be responsible for what has caused your emotion. You may not. But you are responsible for how you handle it. Don't let what's eating you today eat at you tomorrow. Deal with it or drop it. Deal with it or drop it. What I'm telling you is to deal with it biblically or drop it expeditiously. That means quickly. That's one of those $5 words that means before the sun goes down. You see, if if you don't deal with it or drop it, it's going to be like a kinked up hose. And at some point it's going to unravel and then anger goes everywhere. Emotions go everywhere. Either by lashing out or acting out. Anger can cause people to shut down, to act out, to manipulate, to slander. Can cause us to live in bitterness. The Bible also says that the emotion of anger gives a foothold to the devil. Which means that if you carry that anger over from one day to the next, Satan has the space in your life to grab hold of you and keep it going. So that when we ask you... Two weeks later, after you've already been mad for two weeks, if you would serve in this capacity in the church, you're going to say no, and you don't even know why. You're just mad. And you know you shouldn't, or you don't feel like it. That's because the sun's gone down, and you're mad again. And the devil has the space to tempt you and to deceive you and to think that you're right and everybody else is wrong, and you should feel this way no matter what. See, when I think about this, this foothold that the Bible says in the New Living Translation, which in the King James it talks about a space to influence, but this word foothold makes me think of a stirrup on a saddle. If any of you ever ridden a horse, it's hard for you to get on top of that horse without a foothold. Now, some of y'all may be awesome and can run up behind them and jump on them. That's great for you. I don't know if I've ever even seen that live. But in order for you to get up on that horse and take a position of authority over something that's big and strong, you've got to have a foothold. But if you got one, you can do it. And all you got to do is take the reins. You see, anger leaves that stirrup down every single day. And when it does, Satan can get to your emotions and get on top and influence you all day long. Take that as a warning. Unresolved anger will leave a space open, a foothold available for the enemy of God to take position of authority in your life. Did not Moses experience this? Did Moses not go through this very thing? In Exodus, he saw how his people were being mistreated. He saw how the Hebrew nation were being forced to work, slaves, and injustice, and there was anger there, and an appropriate emotion when there are injustices and he saw how they were forced into hard labor and then he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews and that rage started rising up within him and the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2 verse 12 after looking in all directions to make sure that no one was watching what does that mean that's guilt before you even act to make sure that no one was watching Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand 
Why would he hide the body in the sand if nothing was wrong with it? Why would he hide the body in the sand? Why would he look around if, if there was no shame attached? You see, what should have been an appropriate emotion that led to an appropriate action was an overwhelming available foothold for the devil to work and out of anger came murder and then shame to try to cover it up. Y'all, what I'm telling you is this. If that can happen to Moses, it can happen to us. It can happen just like me and you. That same thing can happen to us. And while God, God can redeem even a murderer, and that's not the end of the story of Moses. You, you can look at his story, and now we, we treat him as a biblical hero for, by the grace of God. And now we see how good God is and how God can take folks like me and you and make us good. But we look at the story of, of Moses and know that God has redeemed a murderer. But can I tell you the truth? Our story, if it is like that, it may not end up like that. There are lots of guys that got forgiven in jail and they're still there. Still forgiven, but still there. Take this as a warning for God's like, don't jump into that old nature. Don't let that stir up down every day. You keep digging up what I have buried and now Satan has a foothold to get on top and be an influence over you every single day. You have got to put on your new nature. You got to deal with it biblically or drop it expeditiously. It's got to happen or something bad will happen. Can I also suggest to you that while Moses was used by God in big ways to do Great things for his glory. After he killed that man, he spent 40 years in the desert. A foreigner away from his homeland. 40 years. Because he left in shame. Still, don't miss the part where God redeems. Once again, emotional living doesn't represent our God. Jesus was not void of emotion. Y'all know that, right? He was fully man. He wept, cried. He got angry, but his emotion existed within the base characteristic of his holiness. Verse 24 again, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And because Jesus was truly and is truly righteous and holy, his holiness does never operate outside of his character. There is no emotion that that leads to sin within Jesus. So it stands to reason the closer walk we have with Jesus, the more we put on the new nature where the Spirit of God is renewing us, the more we stay away from these destructive things like our mouth and our emotions in the old nature. God does not lie and he does not lash out. So this is why he says for us to stop it. I spoke to a ball team this week. Just close with this. I spoke to a ball team this week. I reminded them that the rules that the head coach sets for them, the rules that the head coach gives to his ball team, it certainly is for their good. But it's a bigger picture. Because if they break those rules, they may incur personal consequences, but it's also a reflection of the organization that they are a part of. Y'all get what I'm saying? If we are the body of Christ and we break these standards, there's forgiveness. 
But everything we do is a reflection of the one who saved us and bought us with his blood. This is how serious it is, which is why we must seriously seek him every day. You bet you're going to need his grace. So do I. But God's standard is still in front of us as we are to represent and reflect the glory of God as the church of God. Chapter 424, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Jesus died to save us. And I like to say it this way. Jesus died to save us from ourselves. So if today, if, if you've never turned from yourself and turned to God, you should know that God has made a way for that to happen through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died to save you from yourself. He died to save us from us so that we might live in this world in a different way than the rest of it to reflect his glory and to work for the good of man. I want to invite you today, if you've never made that commitment, if you've never worked through that decision, we have people here that want to help you. Maybe you want to join the church today. Look, there's about half the crowd there usually is. You can walk up in front of half the folks and not the full thing, all right? And we'd love to have you here at this church. We want to help teach you. We want to help care for your family. If you need to be baptized, we had two baptisms last week. We, we, if you know you need to take that next step of obedience, let's talk about that. But you may want to pass right on through those things and come right down here to this altar because sometimes there's just nothing like getting on your knees before God and confessing to him and praying to him or praying for somebody because we all know we need him. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Lord, it gets real serious when we give sin a name because we know who we are. And we know, Lord, that our mouth is hard to control on our own. So we need your grace. And we pray, oh, Lord, that you would speak to us about how we speak to others. Lord, may we tell the truth so that we reflect your glory and your character. Lord, I pray that while we are people with emotions, that we would be spiritual people. That we walk according to the Spirit of God and live not according to our flesh. I pray, Lord, that we would know before there is a decision to be made what we should do with our anger, how we need to handle it. Well, Lord, you have called your church to put on the new nature that's created to be like you, truly righteous and holy. Lord, will we fall short? We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, how we've seen in the scripture how you can even take a murderer and make him a messenger. Oh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for that you make every crooked path straight and you restore brokenness. So, Lord, I pray today if there's anyone in here that needs to be saved, they need to get right with you. Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to take a next step of obedience and be baptized, to join the church. Or Lord, if people just need to respond right now in our heart to you, I pray, oh God, that you would lead us in this moment and that we would be faithful to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be here for you if you need it.